Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that 80% of adults in the U.S. are deficient in vitamin D. This is based on the archives of internal medicine from the NIH. The only problem is they use the 35 number as the lab test numbers. The anti-aging people I work with think between 70 and 90 is important. If you use that metric, something like 95% of us are deficient in vitamin D. Whether you're conservative or not, it doesn't matter. You're probably deficient if you're not supplementing. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. You're listening to episode six of Upgraded Self Radio. This is Dave from the Bulletproof Executive blog, talking about how you can upgrade your mind, body, and life to levels you never thought possible. Today's interview is more focused on the fitness side of things than just general health. We've got James Fitzgerald from Optimum Performance Training to talk about best practices in all categories of fitness. James is one of the highest regarded personal trainers in the world and is considered a great coach by experts like Rob Wolf. He focuses a lot on high-intensity, CrossFit-like style workouts, but he also doesn't limit himself to just that approach. Whether you want to be an elite athlete or just stay fit in a few minutes a week, you'll want to know more about James Fitzgerald. 
a lot of the people who listen to this podcast and go to the Bulletproof Executive blog are interested in that. How do I get the most benefit in the smallest amount of time? And we're going to cover some of that today. And now we move on to our exclusive interview with James Fitzgerald from Optimum Performance Training. I've got James Fitzgerald from Optimum Performance Training on the line. He is one of the absolute foremost experts in fitness and nutrition in the country. So, James, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me here. Cool. So, what is Optimum Performance Training? Optimum Performance Training is uh, the business that I run. It was started approximately, I guess, 15 years ago without having that kind of name in place. And probably 10 years ago, you know, incorporating that. Basically, uh, an educational center. It's um, a place for individual conditioning and it's a certification process for coaching. What makes OPT different from something like CrossFit or one of these other modalities? I guess the main thing would be that we do individualized conditioning. There's a little bit of a scientific approach to go along with some of the similarities of CrossFit in a black box methodology. And yeah, we have, you know, big beliefs in individualizing our conditioning and individualizing our programs and not having a, a one-trick pony for everyone, I guess. I so guess that's how it makes us different. if somebody were coming into OPT and they wanted to get coached and work on their fitness, where would you start? Like, what would your kind of first steps be? How would you analyze them and create a training plan for them? Well, we'd have a conversation first. We'd want to talk about exactly, you know, big picture, what's going on within their life. What's the reason they showed up there? Why they need us? And why can't they do it themselves? And try to figure out what things are preventing them from improving stuff and also what good things are happening that they can pony on to help them going forward. So a little bit more organic in nature would be that we do a full assessment to figure out exactly where they're coming from. That includes a lifestyle consultation as well as some nutritional analysis. And um, if there's some testing that needs to be a little deeper than that, like endocrinology work or um, any uh, hematology testing or things like, like that, uh, we also have people in place that can do that for us so that we get a really good picture in terms of what's going on before we make a prescription um, in terms of exercise. So uh, each person is treated that way. But most times the initial thing is uh, just a philosophical chat with me in terms of creating a direction as to where so they want to go in their fitness. A little bit more detailed questions now. So what are some of the ways you would work yeah. to prevent injuries and uh, yeah. accidents with your clients? Because I know that's one of the big fears a lot of people have about weight training. So what are some of the ways that you prevent those? Yeah. Uh, when we teach people correctly how to do the movements, we don't prescribe anything we don't feel people should be doing. So we're not biased on our training. And not everyone needs to power snatch and clean and jerk or snatch. A lot of people still do get that. Not a lot of people need to sprint and push a sled. Not a lot of people need to do band sprinting. The prescription goes into people correctly so it keeps them from injury. Um, and that's the style of a good training program. If you could set people up for success so it doesn't put them outside their limitations, that's fine. In order to reach epic potential for an athlete or an elite person, uh, you are going to get injured and you are sore a lot. So you have to face that realization that people will get injured and it's not your responsibility as a coach. It's simply just trying to fine tune exactly what you're capable of. So for people starting out on fitness, you actually should never get injured. And if you are, it's either your own stupid mistake or it's incorrect programming. And so what we do to basically make sure that doesn't happen is that we, again, assess people from the get-go and then never prescribe things that uh, are biases to our thinking cool. that are not so going to be helping them. What's improve. your opinion on variety in training? I know that's kind of a contentious thing. A lot of people are very behind like linear periodization. A lot of people say you should just have random all the time. What's your opinion on that? I think it's suitable for some people. Uh, you'll find a lot of my answers coming, coming back that way. But for some people, I think it's very important to have variety. So let me give you an example. For some 
someone who wants to just have an active lifestyle and maintain some good fitness, variation in training, training program all the time is okay because they actually can't dig deep into the nervous system to which too much variety can cause some issues. So if someone has a very high neuromuscular ability and component, they've been trained for quite a while, and they hammer variation all the time with different intensities, that's quite a load on the entire nervous system and endocrine system as well as their, their gut, their muscles, etc., so, so for some for some people, variation can be quite good. My belief is that over time, you're going to start to see more and more research and design come out because the people that are in the trenches are doing that, in which uh, variation protocols, but similar energy system training within each is going to start to come to the forefront in sports performance and not this linear improvement in uh, progression with the same kind of thing over and over. Uh, Non-variation stuff is uh, very simple to coach, and I think why there could be 50% of those coaches that are contentious about the variation is that they're lazy. They may not possibly want to create constant variation within the program because it's the flow in an app that takes uh, right. this magical so art as a coach. By training different energy systems, what do you mean by that? How can people work on that? Well, the energy systems should only be trained when you say to work on that in specific to what you want to do. So energy system training, just think of it as, I'm going to bring it into a layman's approach so you can understand, is something on a cyclical nature that gets your heart rate, respiration, HPA axis, thermoregulatory system. It gets everything flowing at a really high intensity. So think of uh, doing, so you would understand this, do um, you know a 100-meter uh, IM uh, in your swim training and do it at 95% effort, rest four minutes, and then repeat it six times. So you're working on just assuming you can do that around a minute-ish, either 10 seconds below or above. If you can do that in that period of time at 95%, um, you're almost at your max, but you're not at your max. So that's called lactate power or lactate endurance training. That means that that's the energy system that we're trying to train. We're trying to use that pathway in terms of maximizing. Now, for each person, they may not need to do that. But at certain times of the year, there may, may be a necessity for people to do that. So energy system training for the layman is pretty much interval-based stuff of a high amount of work in a short period of time. Um, and it's done at a small percentage lower than a max. You create a recovery system, and then you repeat that so that over Great. time yeah, it builds your entire potential. So what do you think of recovery workouts? I know those are another one of those kind of things. I, I remember I've heard Brian McKenzie, some others say that those are pointless most for all intents and purposes, that recovery is best just to rest and that kind of thing. And then I know a lot of people say that it's better to do shorter workouts, like a 20 to 40 minute, like easy walk or something like that to help flush out your legs. And I think recovery can be done multiple different ways. There's no one answer to that. I do believe in recovery workouts. I think uh, we've seen it with mobility slash very easy cardiovascular work slash skill-based exercise sessions in which we've had people do, for example, you know, air dying for a few minutes really easy and then practice some muscle-ups and wall balls and handstand walking and then do some you know, crawling on the ground, some gymnastic planks, things like that. Then back on the uridine, we've had people do that for 60 minutes a couple of times a week. Um, and it's actually improved, you know, 1RM lifting and their ability to get into the lactate pathway because we've measured that through uh, scientific methods. So you can't say that um, they're useless um, unless you um, actually test it to show that it's not important. I think the scare that people have with saying that they're going to do recovery workout is they're afraid people are going to go out and run for 30 to 60 minutes at a really easy tempo. But recovery can be dressed up in multiple different ways and also saying that one system, you know, I, I would look at what they're selling if they're afraid of recovery workouts. So that kind of brings up a good question when you're talking about testing. 
And what are some ways people can test their own fitness? How do you test it there at OPT? And why is it important to keep testing? Testing is important relative to where you are on that fitness curve. Kind of see the trends to what's going on at the period of time in case you need to peak for an athlete. Or if you just want to see as a person who's progressing over time exactly where you are so you can see the program is either useless or it's effective. The reason why testing is not done within a lot of fitness programs is because people realize that the coaching as well as the person in the fitness program are not improving. And so that's why the, the, there's issues with variation in program is there's so much different shit all the time. Um, and then after about a year and a half, um, they see that there's no improvement. So they just throw a whole bunch of more different shit together. And you never really know what, if you're improving or not. So the kind of testing we do here can be as simple as, you know, getting someone to lunge and then do a push up to walk up and down steps with measurements of heart rate and uh, perceived exertion to advanced methods of uh, lactate, respiratory exchange ratio, uh, heart rate variability, sex hormone balance testing, adrenal stress index panels, cortisol curves, you name it. So we can get very small or very advanced based upon what the, how important it is for the person to go through that. We don't believe there's one single test for each person. But the retesting for a beginner should be a little bit more frequent because they're going to see advancements and it creates a motivational curve for them. The testing for an athlete over time should be very current as well just to kind of make sure you're on the right path. You walk that fine line between genetic rehabilitation as well as elite performance. So um, I believe it's very important to test and, uh, you know, clients and fitness people should do that more often because they get to see if the program is, uh, is worth anything, if they're truly on a progressive curve over time to improve things. I really like testing consistently, even if they're not, they don't turn out to be that good because we get to see trends. So meaning that a certain person could be in a certain phase of training, which we're trying to get things out of it, but it creates some insights and aha moments, which allows us to upgrade the prescription. Let's say you're trying to peak somebody for the CrossFit games or something like that, where there's a lot of intensity and a lot of workload that goes into it. How often would that person be testing in the weeks leading up to that? And what kind of testing would they be doing? It depends upon the person, but uh, weeks leading up to it, I basically will probably only test the lactate endurance pathway and probably the uh, CP pathway. I wouldn't test anything in really large aerobic capacity states because I'd want to ensure that they're going to be able to recover nervous system wise in order to uh, lower that before they get into the fight. But the short time domain stuff, which is known within CrossFit at a really high power along with lactate measures to ensure that the lactate score is quite high. I want it high because I want people being able to use that pathway and keep it in the blood so that when they get to the games, they still have it in their system so they can use it as a fuel. I also want to make sure their nervous system is in, good, in a good place. So testing uh, CP protocols to ensure that uh, they max out on a clean and jerk or a back squat or something like that would be highly important because it allows their brain to remember that. So even if within two weeks, they'll remember exactly how to do it. The testing is a lot more functional and observational within the sport of CrossFit. And the reason being is that they don't have a clue exactly what they're training for. So the balance of the testing has to be a little bit more kind of observational. You have to look at people and watch them work out that only a keen eye of a CrossFit coach can see that. But you have to watch them and go, okay, yeah, I can tell you're fast and you got that little pop in that step, but we're a little slow here and your touch needs to be here. And this is how we got to fix that technique. Um, that's a little bit more observational than as opposed to a triathlete. A couple of weeks out, we can simply do some measures of power, simple protocols on a run or a bike, and then figure out based upon those things exactly where they're sitting. Because we know we know the distance, we know the route, we know the course, we know the heat, we know the fluid, all those kind of things. So how do you combine, say, general strength and something like an endurance sport like triathlon? And also, how do you convince people that strength is important? So how do you combine 
a strength program and an endurance program? Well, I don't try to convince anyone, first of all, but I do create some education in terms of their performance. So if I give them some protocols and I say, just let me just buy in with me for a couple of weeks and we'll play with a few things and then you tell me after four weeks... Because we get to the end of four weeks and they feel worse, who am I to try to convince them to, to make more changes on it? But if most times, I would say probably 80% with my endurance athletes, after four weeks, they buy in. They say, yeah, recovering better. I got more pop in my hamstrings uphill. I can feel that torque on the bike, you know, things like that. So I don't try to convince people of that because that means that, you know, philosophically, I'm just wasting my energy on trying to uh, – trying to turn that over on them. But I'm a big believer in endurance uh, training to ensure that nothing takes them away from the technical efficiencies that are needed for endurance training. So for endurance training, um, if we're talking on an athletic front, uh, I'm a big believer in uh, the specificity of the sport. I'm not afraid of volume in the sport, in the sport um, if it's done appropriately. Um, and I'm a big uh, believer in terms of weight relative to power output. So I'm not looking to increase lean mass of an athlete if it's not important. If you need to be a fantastic runner and you're 15 pounds overweight, I'm going to tell you. And I'm also not going to put you on a strength training program because there's a bias around that. If I don't want you putting weight on and I know you need to be down 15 pounds in order to run two minutes faster on a 10K, let's say. So I'm a believer that, you know, giving that person an individual program based upon what they need to be good at that um, endurance sport. Do you think um, weight training helps prevent a lot of injuries in endurance sports? Like at least moderate weight training? Yes. Good. So is it possible to gain lean mass while doing a lot of... Uh, endurance training it is it's possible i can see if they jump into that pathway um and there's some nutritional issues there's some nutritional things we need to take care of too but if they jump into that intensity pathway enough um i think it might be possible but yeah if the if the training is done appropriately for the sport i can't see people putting lean lean mass on and specifically when i have tested it because people may look leaner and look like they're gaining lean mass but they're not gaining lean mass. They right. just look leaner, so they look more big. Um, one of the things you kind of mentioned before is how like endocrine panels and endocrine testing. So what are some ways that you yeah. limit cortisol production, or at least over yep. cortisol production, keep people from dipping into that kind of overtrained state? To create a number one would be to create a routine daily. I think this it's a missing link in terms of balancing that circadian rhythm and cortisol curve. Correct training, you know, staying away from hyperinsulinia throughout the day, uh, staying away from any uh, processed foods uh, or cheat things that may put them off cycle if they're going to be, you know, if that's one of the pathways. Divulging into some lifestyle consultations to get that shit out of the head that's uh, preventing them from moving forward, you know, and uh, tapping in, into those kind of uh, emotional, psychological barriers. And then, of course, what I've just mentioned, but correct training has a big part to play with it. I think this unknown, unknowable, constant variation may not be a good thing that we're seeing with a lot of people that we're taking care of on the back end of it. It has put people down the wrong curve in terms of that yeah. endocrinology so what balance. About sleep? How important is sleep in your training plans? And do you have any examples of somebody who, let's say, has been on a sleep-deprived state and then has started sleeping again and how their performance has improved? Yeah, I can't just give you names, but I'll just say there's, you know, hundreds of people who've said that they tweak some things in terms of uh, sleep and only they've had acute responses. Um, I just read a person on our blog the other day who a couple of days ago was complaining of overreaching, and now he's written today, said he's had some good quality sleep past tonight and everything's fine. So there's acute stories like that. I've got hundreds of stories, and then, of course, there's uh, specific protocols that I help people in that they just, you know, it's life-changing for a lot of folks. Some of the simple things around that is keeping all kinds of electricity and wave kind of stuff out of your room. On no alarm clocks, preferably get on a routine cycle so your body naturally wakes up so that you can leave your leave yourself some time before having to be to work or having to give yourself, you know, certain protocols. Or if your you know, kids are gonna come in and wake you up, allow that to happen. Completely darkened out room, 
don't do stimulatory stuff about an hour before you sleep. Don't do any watching of movies, TVs, computers, things like that. Do a wind down time, reading a book, a nice chat, a relaxation technique, stretching, warm bath, yada, yada. Don't eat any, you know, large amounts of foods right before bed, just based upon your uh, liver possibly having to work a little bit when it's detoxifying uh, later on in the night. And of course, clear your head, you know, write things down in a journal. Get shit off your brain. Most times people, why they can't get to sleep and they're wired and tired at night is they can't shut the brain off. So don't leave stuff till the end of the day. Get stuff done during the bulk of day where you're creative. And then let the evening time be a wind down state when, our, uh, when we're supposed so to be recovering. What is your philosophy on diet and nutrition? Are you more into the uh, paleo uh, diet or what? I'm the same thing as in uh, program design. I uh, vary it quite a bit based upon who I'm working with. So if a person is, is starting from, I'm not going to say a uh, toxic area, but, you know, um, burgers and fries a few times a week, some processed foods that are prettied up as being healthy, some incorrect, you know, um, alcohol usage, uh, imbalance of foods throughout the day, lower in protein. Um, I'm not going to send them uh, across the desk with, a, you know, a, a paleo handout and tell them that this is going to be the uh, the next coming. Um, I think I believe there's phases of intervention as to how it changed people over to that. And I think that, you know, over time, we need to do a little bit more investigation in terms of that evolutionary perspective on foods before we start knocking off the board, grains, legumes, soy, dairy, many of the things that uh, people want to uh, vilify, although with, there is, you know, more and more research showing that they could have some implications. Uh, my theories are, though, that uh, you got to look at the terrain of the individual, uh, where they come from, their ethnicity, their background, how they're feeling, their current profile, their genetic their genetics, which I think epigenetics is a big part to play within that now. Um, and I think stress, I think the amount of stress that we've induced in ourselves over the past 30 or 40 years with the increase in technology and the speed of life, I believe, I believe make, makes us weaker as humans and, and uh, the inability to, you know, understand, you know, in, 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 uh, you know, even problems with a sprouted grain you know, I think that's an issue. The fact that we can't handle that shit. I don't think that the spread of grain is the issue. I think that the fact that humans can't adapt to that or that even after seven generations of variations within the wheat, our body can't adapt to it. So, so that's where I am on food. I don't make it emotional. I don't really make it dogma or religion. And I'm open to, uh, to understanding a bunch of things. I can tell you this, Army, that um, I've also investigated a shitload of athletes that don't do paleolithic profiles, and they perform to extensively high levels. So you also have to look a little bit at the current state in order to figure some things out uh, before we can make statements that uh, are based upon one or the other. So that, I think, is, again, a perfect segue into some of your life coaching. Because I've heard a lot of people say, I think Rob Wolf has mentioned it on his podcast, Speaking of Paleo. Um, about your life coaching seminars and modules that you do as part of your, I think it's your coaching certification program. Could you talk a little bit about what, what you do in those? Yeah, the life coaching piece has been a part of my individual consultation. So if you sat down with me years ago, that's probably the first thing we do for the first little while because I'm a big believer in that is trying to figure out exactly, you know, understanding one another and also creating awarenesses. So over the weekend, we teach coaches how to uh, teach themselves first um, how to notice and then explain and then prescribe and then and then act. And we do that through multiple different ways. You know, if you've ever studied fundamental systematics or quantum theory stuff, it's uh, kind of along, along those lines, meaning that we try to teach people how to create awarenesses in themselves as to where things are. And then, of course, we can create a prescription based upon that with what we see and going forward. So, um, I think creating a, what we call a triangle of trust, I think from right from the get-go is very important with people. So if you create trust 
from the coach to the client, I think that uh, programs and designs and businesses can become very powerful. But that trust element is very important to build right away. We also teach you know, um, different, different specific scenarios on how to coach in groups and how to coach individuals and also how to be coached. So it's a lot about in level one, teaching you about who you are first and then level two and level three, it'll get more into the, uh, the wisdom category so that we can teach people how to spread the news to uh, reach Um, larger audiences. What are some principles that people should follow if they were constructing their own workout program? So if they didn't hire a coach or didn't work with somebody like you or OBT and they wanted to be a self-coached athlete. Yeah, I think do some reading. You know, there's a shitload of that out there. And then, you know, play. Allow yourself to play a little bit. Figure out what what resonates with you. I think that, you know, deep inside being self-coached, you're going to go after things that um, that really sit well with you. I mean, I've been very lucky to have coached a lot of really great athletes that have moved on away from me. And uh, I'm happy that they do that because it just tells me that I've taught them something about themselves, that their innate sense is saying this is where they need to go. So, you know, I think if you are self-coached, truly stick to that, meaning that you got to you got to do the things that resonate for you. I'll give you I'll give you an example that, you know, could be close to home. I'm not sure what your history is in terms of running, but um, I was fascinated by this gentleman uh, named Sebastian Coe and his dad and their background. And uh, it motivated me so much that I want to compete in, a, in an 800 meter race um, in the World Masters next year in Finland just because of that as being one of my specific goals over the next year or so. Um, and the reason why I enjoyed that so much is that he loved his dad coaching him because he said his dad never coached anyone else and his dad knew nothing about coaching. So I find that fascinating that the athlete had no, no biases then within the training because the dad never knew what a bias or a control was. So they were still self-coached in that, you know, the coach was self-coaching in that he just went by how he felt, you know, and um, I think if you are self-coaching, uh, go by that. Do some little day-to-day and weekly experiments for your recovery. Ensure that you're progressive long-term and uh, set some small and longer-term goals to where you want to see yourself. And I think uh, people can uh, attain um, some really high stuff uh, when so they do that among themselves. Tra- uh, changing differently for your race in Finland compared to maybe the CrossFit Games or something like that? Well, mainly I needed to just learn how to run again. I used to run uh, competitively in high school. I came uh, second in the province, which is kind of like state for uh, for Canada, uh, for cross-country running, and that was like 3 to 5K distances. And then I uh, kind of went into the bodybuilding, strength conditioning route. And then when I came out to Calgary, I won my uh, age group and uh, class in the 5P series, which is uh, mountain running, uh, which is... Um, basically uh, one race every month for five months through the summertime and uh, racing in the Rocky Mountains. And um, that was a sport course, which is kind of like five, four to six K per distance. Um, and I have done some distance road stuff. And uh, then within CrossFit, you know, I just used to do intervals of running or uh, some running when I first started CrossFit because I was still preparing for the five peaks and I haven't done none since. So since then, um, I've basically been running, running all the time and doing a whole bunch of it and just learning about uh, breathing, touching the ground, getting some volume in, you know, getting that sense of uh, where I need to be for speed development um, and also just falling in love again with the sport. And so uh, the big change has been I've just been doing a crap load of running uh, every day, uh, either with my dog or by myself. It's been an adjustment down here in Phoenix, so I've had to run uh, before 5 a.m. almost every day because it's like... Uh, 90 degrees at that time of the day, and and my thermoregulatory system uh, uh, makes my pulse about 15 beats 
higher per zone or per intensity. So, you know, I've, I've, I've basically just been running a whole lot. And I've still been doing uh, every second day some conditioning to basically keep my uh, strength relative to my body weight. Um, I've lost about 10 or 12 pounds because uh, to be competitive for that distance and based upon my power and my times that are needed, I need to be around 160. And I was probably going at 175 to 178 all winter doing CrossFit style, style stuff and more uh, conditioning based, but now I need uh, my body weight down. So, so that's the main changes. If somebody wanted to learn more about OPT, where can they go? And do you have any like freebies or anything on the website or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, well, on the website, when they go on to optexperience.com, you can look at, uh, you know, we keep your email for all updates as soon as you uh, get the free article on just getting stronger. You can look on the blog and take a look at our uh, training program that we give for free every day. And that's based upon balanced fitness. Um, and there's three different levels on there. If you wanted to ask a question, just go to contact on our website and we do question and answer for anyone who's uh, non-members or just wants some information. Yeah, or just email me, you know, Great, man. or uh, drop Thanks. me a line. Thank Phone you so call. much for coming on and talking. Thank you so much, man. No problem. I look forward to uh, uh, spreading uh, this information. If there's anything in the future you need for me to to help you out and um, go forward on the path that you're looking to do and you're trying to reach and the change you're trying to make, don't hesitate. Cool. See you, man. Bye. Okay, brother. You can find links to everything we talked about today in the show notes at bulletproofexec.com. If you enjoyed our show today, you can help by leaving a positive ranking on iTunes. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.